You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Hey, City Tribe. My name's Lee. I'm one of your tribe teachers, and we're in week six of a series of sermons titled, You're Invited. And I have a message for you today that's so relevant to what every single one of us are experiencing in the world right now. And what's fascinating about this conversation is this. In week one, I made a sort of prophetic declaration. You can go back and listen via Apple Podcasts or watch that talk via City Tribe Media on YouTube. But I told the story of how this series of sermons was sort of uploaded to me through the Holy Spirit as I listened in prayer. And while I sat in silence, a sequence of teaching topics just appeared into my mind and all sorts of scriptures popped into my mind left and right. And I saw that there was this progression of teaching in that sequence. And I saw the dates, the schedule, who was supposed to teach what and when. And so the topic that I'm teaching on today, the message today, it was uploaded and outlined over three months ago, before the threat of the coronavirus became a worldwide pandemic, before social distancing became a household term, before your prom was canceled or your wedding or graduation was postponed, before businesses closed their doors and you and I were ordered to stay home in order to save lives. And I bring this up to say that if you get disconnected, if you get disrupted or distracted from this broadcast, Be sure to come back and finish the message. Pick back up where you left off because I sincerely believe in my heart of hearts that the Holy Spirit uploaded this message for you and for me, for our entire tribe, for such a time as this. Now, wherever you are and whoever you're with, would you just pray this with me? Maybe say it out loud. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Amen. Now, if you're planning to follow along with me, we're going to be in the portion of your Bibles known as Hebrews. Some Bibles will say the epistle to the Hebrews or letter to the Hebrews. Now, we can't say definitively who the author of this letter, Hebrews, was, but as research methods have improved over the generations, a few truths have become apparent. In the original Greek manuscript of this document, Hebrews shares a similar writing style and 300 words that are original to only two other documents that are collected in our Bible. Those documents being the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, both written by a man named Luke. And so whether Luke wrote Hebrews as well, or if he just contributed to it or transcribed it, we can't say that for sure, but his fingerprints are all over that document. And here's why that's interesting. That's interesting because when we read the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts with Hebrews, they give us together this sort of three volume storyline, a trilogy that intensifies with each book. This trilogy paints for us a picture of the circumstances that Jesus' followers were facing when the letter to the Hebrews was written around 68 AD. So let's paint that picture right now. It's important for our conversation today. In the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus wasn't welcome even in his own hometown. His own relatives and childhood friends, they tried to throw him off of a cliff. How hilarious is that? And of course, he's Jesus, so he didn't get thrown off the cliff, but they drove him out of the city. And this was a foreshadowing, a foretelling of what Jesus' followers would soon 
face. In fact, we see this played out in the book of Acts. In Acts, we read that Jesus' followers were also rioted against. They were also chased out of towns and exiled from them. Many were hunted down. They were arrested and imprisoned. Some were publicly tortured, even stoned to death. And from historical records, reliable historical records outside of our Bible, We know that many were beheaded and boiled. They were wrapped in fur and fed to animals in arenas to be made a public spectacle. Now, Jesus' followers, they were in constant risk of losing their life because of their faith. Are you starting to see this picture that is painted? And so let's add to that what we learn from the third volume in this trilogy, the letter to the Hebrews. The author acknowledged what his audience had been experiencing, their circumstances that they faced for over 35 years. He wrote, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through undeserved disgracing and oppression and through the seizure of your property. So from this trilogy of documents, the gospel of Luke, the book of Acts, this letter to the Hebrews, the picture painted for us is this. In 68 AD, Jesus's followers were living in a time of chaos and crisis. They were afraid for their lives. They were forced into a sort of social distancing, confined to their homes, afraid and seeking comfort. Many were even drifting away from their faith and from participating in the kingdom movement. And as we've seen in this series, that's not at all the kind of life that Jesus invites everyone to experience. Jesus, a compassionate king, he invites everyone out of a life of being distressed and dispirited into a life of experiencing his relief and his rest, not only in their souls in the here and now, but for all of eternity. And it's why the author of Hebrews wrote, while Jesus's promise of rest remains, let us fear that any would not experience it. Meaning if you're going to fear anything at all, let it be the fear of not experiencing the life you were created to experience. Let it be the fear of not experiencing Jesus's rest in your soul for all of eternity. And so with the genuine desire that his audience, the recipients of his letter would experience that rest that Jesus promised, the author of Hebrews wrote this, I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, meaning to all who are in the midst of chaos and in crisis, to all who are afraid, seeking comfort, to all who've been confined to their homes, who are drifting away from their faith and drifting away from participating in this kingdom movement, this is my message to you. And I believe it's the Holy Spirit's message to you and to me today as well. And so what was this message to the Hebrews in crisis? How did the author comfort people who'd been forced into social distancing, who had been confined to their homes? Well, here's how he kicked off his message. In the opening lines of his letter, he said, God, in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, to whom all things belong, and through whom also he made the world and upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he made purification of sins, when he sacrificed his body, poured out his blood, and then was raised from the dead, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, God the Father, on high. And so right off the bat, the author of Hebrews, he 
comforted his audience by reminding them who Jesus is and just whose invitation they had accepted. He had reminded them that Jesus is the creator of all things, who simply speaks and commands the cosmos. He reminded them that Jesus is merciful and gracious and giving so much so that he gave his own life that you and I might have eternal life in heaven. And he reminded them that Jesus is almighty with unmatched power over even death itself. And to further emphasize who Jesus is, the author continued building his case in the very next section of Hebrews. He went on to say that God left nothing that is not subject to him. There is nothing that is not under Jesus's authority. And just to make sure that his audience understood who Jesus was and why they could find comfort in crisis, the author cemented his case. He said, through death, Jesus rendered powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and he set free those who were slaves to their fear of death. You have nothing, nothing to fear any longer because this life is only the beginning. It is not our end game. And here's what all of this means. Here's what the author wanted his audience to know. Here's what the Holy Spirit wants you and I to know in order to find comfort in crisis. And it's this, that even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of suffering, when things seem out of hand and in disarray, Jesus is king and in control. Even in the midst of crisis, Jesus, our compassionate king, is in control. He is still at work. His movement is moving. And to my skeptics, and before you roll your eyes, before you tune out, let me say, I get it. Trust me, I get it. I get that you might be thinking, oh my gosh, of course the preacher would say that. That's such a corny Christian cop-out. I mean, come on, man. People are dying. They're getting sick by the millions. They're out of work. The economy is falling apart. And I'm supposed to believe that there is this invisible king who has the whole world in his hands? Come on. And so you might be asking, how is that comforting? How am I supposed to believe that Jesus is king and in control? Well, I'm sure the author of Hebrews heard similar questions in his day, or he at least anticipated that these questions were going to be asked because he addressed that very skepticism head on in his next section, in his message. He wrote, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. He was saying, guys, remember why people believed Jesus was king and in control in the first place. He went on after it was at first spoken through the Lord Jesus. And y'all remember, y'all remember hearing it was the talk of the town. Your parents probably talked about it. You probably heard about it on the playground when you were a kid that Jesus, he was teaching. He spoke about his kingdom, his compassion and the resurrection after he had been crucified and buried. And then, guys, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Y'all remember Peter and Andrew. Y'all remember James and John. Y'all remember Matthew. You asked, and they personally confirmed that they walked and they ate with a resurrected Jesus. And not just that. Many of us, we personally know people who they can't explain how, but they have confirmed 
that Jesus healed their diseases. He restored their sight. Or though they were born paralyzed, he gave them the ability to walk. And then through these very people, God testified with them by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Guys, don't you remember that there was a bunch of idiotes and sinners, people who were unskilled and uneducated and unqualified. They were imperfect and they were leading this kingdom movement and everybody was amazed. Don't you remember? They were so convinced that there was a resurrection of the dead, that Jesus was alive and in control, that they were willing to die for their faith. Don't you remember? And so don't drift away because in the midst of chaos and in crisis, you can find comfort remembering that countless people you know personally have confirmed Jesus is king and in control. Now for you and for me today, we don't have the privilege of being able to have a personal conversation with people who traveled with Jesus in the first century, but we do have their personal accounts, their testimonies collected for us in our Bibles. The gospel of Matthew and John, they're personal accounts of their experiences when they walked with Jesus. The gospel of Luke is a thorough investigation of eyewitness experiences. The gospel of Mark is a transcription of an illiterate Peter's behalf who told of his experiences. And actually, you and I, we should have way more faith than any other generation, than even the first century Hebrews, because you and I have the privilege of perspective. We can see how Jesus's teachings and his resurrection has transformed the world that we live in today. Here's why we can have faith that Jesus is king and in control. Because historians can put a pin in history as to when compassion and humility became virtues and values. They can put a pin in when public education became a something that was a right for all. We can put a pin in when human rights became a conversation and it was Jesus's teachings and his influence that helped end open slavery. The reason why we have hospitals is because of Christians who gathered around Jesus's teachings. I mean, there is so much influence that Jesus's teachings and resurrection have had. And you and I can trust that Jesus is king and in control because every credible historian alive today would confirm what research professor Dr. William Lane Craig wrote. In his book, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? He wrote this, and I paraphrased it this way. The state of current mainstream scholarship supports these three facts. One, Jesus' tomb was empty. Two, various individuals and groups saw Jesus alive after he was crucified. And three, Christianity originated because people believed they saw Jesus raised from the dead. He went on to say that the critic who denies these facts today finds himself on the defensive. And so, from the privilege of our perspective, and even from an academic standpoint, the evidence checks out. It has been confirmed. Jesus is king and in control. It's why we can find comfort in crisis and in chaos. So the question really isn't why we can have comfort. The question is how do we experience it? How might we find comfort and experience Jesus's rest? When we're forced into social distancing, how might we continue to participate in his movement? Well, the author gives us a few practical ways and 
Each one of these ways is like its own mini sermon. So I hope you're taking notes. Here's the first one. He wrote, let us hold fast, highlight, underline, circle that phrase, hold fast, the confession of our hope without wavering. This idea to hold fast, it's a major theme of Hebrews. It's referenced five times throughout this short message. Hold fast in the first century was this idea that we're literally fighting words. And it's a concept that's well conveyed by the popular 1970s motivational poster that reads, hang in there, baby. This poster shows a kitten clinging with every fiber of its being to a bamboo branch so as to not fall. And this is what the author wanted his audience to do with their confession of hope, their confession that there is no end to our life, but a resurrection. If they wanted to not drift back, but find comfort, it started with confessing Jesus is king and in control. And then with every fiber of their being, they were to cling to that hope, to hold fast and hold on for dear life, lest they fall, lest they drift away. And that's my same encouragement to you, to all of us today. Whether you're watching this video or listening to the podcast, we have to get this. So I want you to confess this with me right now, out loud, wherever you are, that Jesus is king and in control. We're going to say it together on the count of three. Jesus is king and in control. You ready? One, two, three. Jesus is king and in control. And then like that kitty, cling for dear life, hold fast to that confession, do not let go from it. So when you're anxious about the future, anxious about your finances and this crumbling economy, confess Jesus is king and in control and hold fast to find comfort. When you're disappointed at how your life has been disrupted, when you're discouraged or you're angry at people or a certain person in your household, confess Jesus is king and in control and hold fast to find comfort. When you feel alone, when you're depressed, confess this and hold fast until you find comfort. But not just that, the author added yet another strong theme in his short message, a theme he repeated seven times. He said, let us draw near, highlight, underline, circle that phrase, draw near with a sincere heart and in the full assurance of faith. Draw near is a phrase used to describe experiencing God's presence. Drawing near, Experiencing God's presence in ancient times, it required purification rituals and a blood sacrifice. And it was a privilege that was reserved for only one individual, only one time of year. But remember, as we've said all throughout the series, Jesus wasn't concerned with continuing customs. And so he sacrificed his own body. He shed his own blood to put an end to that ancient sacrificial system once and for all. And to anyone who confesses that he's king, and in control. You are then made pure and he pours out his Holy Spirit onto you. And so the Holy Spirit is the presence of God within you and within me. You and I now have the privilege to experience the presence of God, not just one time of year in one instance, but everywhere we are, every time of day, drawing near is another way that we can experience comfort and experience Jesus' promised rest. 
So the question, though, is how do we draw near? How might you and I engage with the indwelling Holy Spirit? Well, here's what the author wrote. He said, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us that I'll inscribe my laws into their heart and into their mind. You and I draw near. We experience God's presence when we pay attention with intention to what the Spirit puts on our hearts and on our minds. Here's how drawing near looks for me. I'll often find a quiet space. Sometimes it's the balcony of my apartment. Sometimes it's my living room when my family has gone to sleep. Sometimes it's literally in the closet. And I will just create this mental space and try to calm all of my thoughts. And then I'll take a deep breath and I'll say, kind of like what we said before we started this talk, Holy Spirit, you're invited. Speak to me. Then I sit still and I pay attention with intention to what the Spirit puts on my heart and on my mind. And sometimes I'll see a person put on my heart that's, that I feel compelled to connect with, whether digitally, send a text message, send an email, maybe even FaceTime that person. Or I'll see scriptures pop into my mind that I need to recite, that I'll need to read or further research. I told you earlier that this is the way that I was able to get this upload for the teachings in this series I drew near. Heck, it's how I've planned out my next three series that I'll be in charge of. And I promise you, I'm no more special than any one of you. I just draw near. I pay attention with intention. And many of you confined to your homes right now. You have a unique opportunity to do the same. Draw near to God. Experience his presence. Designate a time to turn off your devices and turn to God. And instead of doing all the talking, listen. Say, Holy Spirit, you're invited. Speak to me. And then pay attention with intention to what he puts on your heart and on your mind, and don't just do this by yourself. You you can draw near with the people in your household, draw near with the roommate, draw near to God with your spouse, or draw near to God with your children and grandchildren. Maybe even go outside and take a walk, do it on your porch. It doesn't matter, but draw near, and it'll reinforce your confession that Jesus is king and in control. The Holy Spirit, the indwelling spirit will comfort you. And if nothing else at all, while you're all in silence, you will at least be a blessing to other people's as you won't be driving each other nuts. You know what I'm saying? Am I right about that? And so lastly, the way that you and I can find comfort and continue participating in Jesus's movement is this. The author wrote, let us consider wherever you are, repeat that word out loud after me, consider, let us fix our minds on this. Let us focus our thoughts on this. Let us pay attention with intention to this right here, how to encourage one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, but encouraging one another. Now this passage is often confused and used to persuade people to attend church services, large corporate gatherings. But you've got to remember that this was written in 68 AD. It would be another 250 years before people, Jesus's followers could legally assemble 
in any form or fashion similar to what we're doing today. And so somewhat similar to our situation, if they were to meet in large groups, they were endangering everybody else's life. And so let's make sure we're clear about what this meant. So you and I know exactly what we are to consider. Now, the three phrases urge one another, assembling together, and encourage one another. They are three phrases for personal, intimate interactions, fitting for even our circumstances today. To be clear, the word for assembling together, it's rooted in the same word recorded when Jesus said, I was a stranger and you invited me in. Meaning you assembled me to be by your side, to serve me while I suffered. You assembled me into your home to heart and soul be a hospitable helper for me. And that very word is the same Greek word recorded when Jesus said, I wanted to gather the way that a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I wanted to assemble you to myself to protect you from people who prey on you. I wanted to assemble you to comfort you and show you compassion like a parent would a child. The author wanted the Hebrews to remember that Jesus's movement, it's intimate interpersonal. It's all about those kinds of interactions. And that is what helps it spread. And so even being confined to their homes, forced into social distancing, they could still participate in this movement and help it go viral. They could still selflessly serve their spouse who's suffering. They could still comfort their child who is afraid or maybe bored and wanting to go back to school. They could still show compassion to an elderly neighbor or show generosity, give money to somebody who's lost a job. They could do what the author of Hebrews modeled for them. They could send an encouraging message to someone at a distance. His point was this, the comfort and rest that they craved, it was a direct product of the comfort and rest that they gave. The comfort and rest that they craved was a direct product of the comfort and rest that they gave. And so with their world in chaos, with people afraid, it was a prime opportunity, a prime time, an unprecedented time in the world to usher in the rest that Jesus offers. And so what did they need to consider? What do you and I need to consider, fix our thoughts on, focus our minds on? we must thus consider this. Who is in distress that you need to invite to be by your side, maybe even digitally? And how might you and I inspire or incite that person to also participate in the kingdom movement? Let me say it in a way that you might remember. Ask these two questions. This is what you should consider as you draw near to the Holy Spirit ask, who do I need to invite and how might I incite? Who do I need to invite that they might know that Jesus is king and in control? And how might I incite that individual to also draw near to God and to also invite other people into this kingdom movement that we might spread rest and comfort throughout the world together? That is what we need to consider. And the author said, we need to do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to do this all the more as the chaos and the crisis intensifies, as people are in distress. And so you're invited. 
I'm inviting you to join me in doing what the author of Hebrews wanted his audience to do. That is, number one, hold fast to your confession that Jesus is king and in control because it has been confirmed. The evidence checks out. Number two, draw near to God. Pay attention with intention to what he puts on your heart and on your mind. And as you draw near, number three, consider these questions. Who do I need to invite to show that Jesus is king and in control? And how might I incite that person to participate in the kingdom movement? And when you and I do this, not only will we ourselves find rest in chaos, but comfort and compassion, it will cascade down and spread contagiously. We will be able to endure through and expedite the end to any crisis. And not only that, I am persuaded that you and I will transform the trajectory of human history like Christians have all throughout the generations and like Edward Jenner had. Jenner lived in a time of chaos and crisis when epidemics routinely wiped out entire families, entire towns, entire cities. Not long before he was born, over 400 million people died from smallpox. Now, to put that into perspective, that's about 70 million more people than the entire population of the United States today. Being the son of a pastor and eventually being raised by his brother, who was also a pastor, Edward Jenner, at an early age, accepted Jesus's invitation to participate in his movement. Jenner held tight to the confession that Jesus is king and in control. He regularly drew near to God and paid attention with intention to what God placed on his heart and on his mind. He's quoted as saying this, I am a follower of Christ. I am a tool in the hands of God. And as I follow God with my gifts to help, God will use me as an instrument to convey his good to my fellow creatures. And God did just that. Jenner somehow was inspired with an idea. He miraculously invented the first ever vaccine using glass and handmade instruments. It's a contribution that has changed the entire world that we know. It's estimated that because of his invention, over 9 million lives a year are saved. That equates to billions of people in the 200 years since this was invented. Heck, you and I, we don't even fear the black plague anymore. We don't fear getting smallpox or the measles, anything like that. Considered the father of immunology, he's cited as having saved more lives in human history than anyone else your family tree, my family tree. They should have ended over 200 years ago. But you and I are here today largely because of Jenner's work, because of Jesus's work through Jenner. And I believe Jesus can work the same through you and through me if we don't drift away, but if we continue to participate we might not invent a vaccine to end an epidemic, but our confession of hope that Jesus is king and in control and our willingness to invite and incite others to join us in this movement of spreading rest and comfort, it just might be the vaccine for fear and anxiety and depression that people around us need right now. 
And so, I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation. You're invited. We're glad you're a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.